Okay. All right. Well, I'm uh, excited about uh, this this message. I hope you will be afterwards. <laughs> but uh, I want you to go to Mark chapter six. Mark chapter six, verse thirty-two. Mark chapter six, verse thirty-two. Um, I really started, you know, to wait till Wednesday night to do this, but uh, but I just thought, you know, we have a slightly bigger crowd on Sunday and. And two people are trying. Sometimes work just kind of keeps you away from being able to be here on a on a uh, on a Wednesday night. And so, uh, and and this, of course, as I said this morning, is for those who are teaching and 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 uh, working in junior church, teaching in Sunday schools, all ages, everywhere, including me. Uh, and then also those who are potentially going to be going to be doing that. This also applies to those teaching in the schools uh, that that we have and. And of course, our situation, uh, as we we're having it right now, is a homeschool situation, but still a structured homeschool situation. But, but if you look at uh, Mark chapter six, verse thirty-two, it says they departed into a desert place by ship privately, and the people saw them departing, and many knew him and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them and came together unto him. And Jesus went uh, when he had uh, when. When he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So we, we see immediately that Jesus thought the teaching was very, very important. So much so that he was willing to stop everything and he looked at these people and thought, okay, they're sheep without a shepherd. They have nobody to guide them. And so first thing we got to do is we got to teach them. We've got to, you know, they're in ground level. They, they have no basis. They have no foundation. We've got to teach them to, to bring them up. Uh, and so uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about teaching tonight. And so I'll, uh, I'll have a word of prayer to get started. Father, I pray that you bless. Holy Spirit of God, I ask you, please guide my mind, my thoughts. Spirit of God, I ask you to just give me clarity of mind. Please, please, Holy Spirit of God, I yield myself to thee. Lord, it's, uh, it's so very important that nothing is done in, in my power, that nothing is done through what, what I want to say or do, that, Spirit of God, that you would speak through me. And Holy Spirit, I yield myself to thee, and I ask you to just clear my mind and my thoughts and help me to say it only what needs to be said, only that which would benefit and help someone, Lord. And Father, I pray that you'd move through this room with your spirit and that you would touch hearts and, and lives and ears that people might hear and uh, that we might be changed and that we might be more like thee because of what we hear. And Spirit of God, I ask you to build a mighty hedge of protection around this place, please. In Jesus' name, amen. I told you this morning I want to talk about my philosophy of teaching, and I'd like to believe that my philosophy of teaching is Jesus's philosophy of teaching, that it's a biblical philosophy of teaching. And so I'm not going to you know, espouse you know, purely what, okay, this is the way I do it, this is the way I like it. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you, just to start it out, just three or four points about things that are important to me. If you're going to teach in, in any level, at anywhere, and the truth is, all of us teach somebody somewhere. 
And the truth is, we have an opportunity to be teaching all the time. Uh, we have an opportunity to teach, and we, we sit down with a cup of coffee with somebody. It's really an opportunity to teach. Uh, now, you have to have the wisdom and discretion so that people don't always feel like you're trying to teach them, but you have to have the ability to, to be able to help people, to illustrate, and to give people uh, that which they need. So, number one, I have this. Every lesson must have a life application. Every lesson that we teach, everything that we do, has to have a life application. I've said this before in this 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 room, and and uh, but but it, it thrilled my soul the day that that uh, the girls all came into town and sitting there at the at the at the sink, and all all seven women were there and washing dishes and drying and putting away and doing all that, and they were in the midst of a conversation and man, uh, incredible conversations going on because all seven of them were talking something different at the same time. And uh, which would totally mess with a man's mind, but to you, but uh, they're all talking. I'm sitting at the table, and I'll be honest with you, as a dad that loves his family, I'm just enjoying this whole thing, uh, just because I don't understand the things going on, but I love the fact that they're doing it, and I love the fact that they're up there talking and that they have that relationship, and and so uh, then all of a sudden, I don't know what was said, how it was said, what happened, but Joe Best said, "Well, you know, girls." And before she could get it out of her mouth, all six of the girls said, the Bible says. You know why? Because every situation is an opportunity to teach. Every time, every place, and, and it has a life application. Lessons have a life application. Brother Howes asked me many, many years ago, he said to me, he said, uh, he said Bob, what kind of teacher are you? They were, I was about to move into being a full-time faculty member. And he, he said, what kind of teacher are you? I had no idea what he was even talking about. I, don't, you know, I, I didn't say, well, what do you mean? I just immediately looked at him and I said, a real-life teacher. A real-life teacher. That just simply means, and he looked at me and I said, that just means, listen, I take the Bible and I want to know how I can help somebody live today. Because I just want to get them through today. Because if we can get through today, we got hope for tomorrow. All right? But if we don't make it today, tomorrow's probably shot. So uh, I'm trying to help them live today. And so help me live today or at least someday in the present life. Now, there are some things that you may not immediately uh, need, but you, you need it as we call time-release teaching. Anybody ever heard that? Time-release teaching. You know what that is? That's uh, kind of like a, t a capsule that you take that they say it's a time-release capsule. You take it, and it kind of releases. They say it does. It's a lie. It's probably onto your system the whole time. But psychologically, you feel like it's releasing all day. And so, But this time-release teaching is that something said or done today, you don't need it right now, this moment. But you put it in there. You, if you pay attention... If you stay awake, if you even hear what I'm saying, somehow it goes in there. It goes, it don't look like it's going in there, but it goes in there. And it goes in there, and it go, and look, one day down the road, one day a year from now, one day 10 years from now, you're suddenly in a situation, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit of God brings up the answer, and here's what you do. You go, where in the world did that come from? You know where it came from? It came from some Sunday night, Wednesday night, something, some conversation somewhere back there that it got planted. That truth is time-release teaching. I heard a message that was called, You Don't Know What You Know. My preacher preached the message. I was getting ready to graduate from Bible college, and he preached the message. He said, He's kind of, I'm coming to preach to you kids. You're all getting ready to graduate. I want you to, I want you to understand. You don't know what you know. 
And I said, well, he got that right because I don't know anything. Because by the time you get ready to graduate, you start really realizing you don't know anything. And so I, man, I'm like, okay, this is, me, this is for me because I don't know what I know, what I'm supposed to know. I know I don't know because I'm not ready to go. <laughs> I'm a poet, amen? Did y'all catch that? And so, uh, and so here we go. And he starts preaching. And what it wasn't what I thought it was. What it was was he said, if you listen, if you paid attention, if you soaked it in, if you opened up your heart and mind over these last four years, as you go out there to serve God, you don't know what you know and you won't know it until you need it. And it was amazing how many things that I would just, I'd be working in something, we'd have a difficult situation, and I would say, here's what we're going to do. And, and honestly, I would stop and say, where in the world? And then I would remember my preacher handled a situation like that back there years ago. Or he dealt with a situation like that, and I watched it. And it was amazing what's in there. And so it's, uh, it's that time. Number two is it's repetition is the key to learning. I'm going to say that again. Repetition is the key to learning. I'm going to say it again. Repetition is the key to learning. Are you all catching it? Repetition is the key to learning. Some of you still struggling. Repetition is the key to learning. Okay, say it with me. Repetition is the key to learning. We got two. I'm being attacked up here. One central truth in every lesson. Number three, one central truth in every lesson. The mind can only hold so much, and especially the minds of today. They can only deal with so much. Give them one truth. One truth. Okay? Uh, it, address one truth from multiple directions and ways. Address that one truth from multiple directions and ways. I'm just giving you statements right now. Then how many of you ever heard kiss? What's it mean? Yeah, keep it simple, stupid. Okay? Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Number whatever. Have a clear destination which should be the one central truth. Have a clear destination. When you finish, we know this is what we were talking about. Does that make it? Are we okay? Joe Beth, am I okay so far? Do you approve? Okay. All right. Now, here we go. Now, what I'm going to do is those are just kind of statements I made. Now, I'm going to give you scripture. What did Jesus do in teaching? Number one, Jesus taught in profound truths. He taught profound truths in simplicity. Get that now. Just because you make it simple does not mean it's not profound. Just because you make it simple does not mean it's, it's, it's life-changing. Watch this. It, we're, when we teach, it's supposed to be a transfer of truth, not a display of knowledge. Everybody got that? Do you understand the difference? The difference is I come up here and mesmer, mesmerize you with my incredible intellect. Okay, the fact that I can mesmerize you with my incredible intellect, and Brother Cummins looking at me like, the, he's like, no. Anyway, I can do that. No, I can't, really, I can't. But the fact is, some people can do that, but if you walk away mesmerized, but you're not changed, and you haven't learned truth that will change you, what good was being mesmerized? Are you all okay with me? And so... That's not, it's a transfer of truth. I went over to teach at the Bible college just this past Thursday, and, 
and, uh, and all these kids. And the way I teach, I just, man, I'm just like, and then these kids are like, what do I write down for the test? You know, and I could just see it because always, you know, for years they would all do that. They just, they had this, this just, just whoop puppy look because they, they know they're going to be tested. There's so much want to know. They're trying to interpret what should they write down for the test. And I looked at them, I said, forget about writing down for the test. I want you to listen to the truth that I'm giving you. Okay? I'll tell you what to put on the test. Yeah, I'd like to have me as a teacher. I will read off the test to you the week before if I have to, because if I want you to know it, I want you to know it. How are y'all doing? Jesus taught in profound truth and simplicity. Jesus uh, gave simple, direct answers to those that truly wanted to learn. He did not have 25 points for prayer. What he had was a simple answer. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said in Luke 11, chapters, uh, chapter, uh, yes, Luke 11, verses 1 through 4, he says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. Has John also taught his disciples? So here's Jesus. He's going to teach them. So he's going to go into these deep, dark truths. He's going to say, hey, I've got three books that are all 500 pages apiece that will teach you about prayer. You know what Jesus did when they said, teach us to pray? And he said unto them, when you pray, say. And he gave them a foundation of prayer in an incredibly simple format. Y'all got what I'm saying? So when we teach, we want to give especially young people, but truthfully, we all need this. We all need to just get it simple. Put it on my plate so I can eat it. Amen? So, number two, Jesus taught us how to live today, not just how to live eternally. If you go to Mark, and if you want to mark these, if you want to look at these, you can, and I, and I really started to to try to do a little PowerPoint on it, but, but uh, it just takes me too long to do that. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. Look at Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. He taught us how to live today, not just how to live eternally. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31 says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's none other commandment greater than these. He taught us so, again, in simplicity, how to live. And he said, every commandment, you can just roll them into these two. And uh, my neighbor, and this has been such a blessing to move back to the south, amen? Been such an incredible thing because our neighbors are actually kind to us. It's been amazing. And so the, the, I was out there with the push mower and, uh, because my, my lawnmower had broken the second belt in, in about three weeks. And so it was down, and I'm out there, and I push mower, and that lawn's pretty big. So I did the whole front and two sides with the push mower. And I, I was about to pass out and die. And I said, I'm going to go back to the backyard. And I made one strip around the backyard, and I passed out and died. And then I, I just said, okay, this is it. I, you know, no way. I just pushed it to the garage, rolled it in, said, I'm done. I can't do anymore. Well, within three minutes, 
if they saw my condition. One neighbor came across the road from this way. One neighbor came across. I guess they called each other, and they came and met and said, what are you doing, man? And I said, my lawnmower is broken down, two belts broken, $150 every time they replace a belt. I said, I ordered my own belt this time, and so I got to cut the grass, and so I'm pushed more. And they said, no, you're not. One of them said, I'm getting my mower, and I'm going to start cutting your grass. And the other one came out with all this equipment, all this kind of stuff. It was incredible. He said, what's that all about? I don't know. I lost my whole train of thought. No, that one of the, the fellas out there, and he said, he said, look, I, when you get the, that belt, he said, I can put the belt on. He said, why don't I just take your mower now, and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, sharpen your blades, and I'll adjust everything, and I'll look at the pulleys, and I'll try to see what's going on, why your belt's breaking. And, and I just stared at him. And he said, he said, you want me to do it? And I said, of course I do. I said, but I just, I'm shocked. I said, man, it's been 30-something years, and I never had a neighbor come over to do anything but cuss at me in 30-something years. (laughs) And he said this. He said, you know, brother, the Lord said that we ought to love him with our heart, body, mind, and soul. And he said, he told us we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. And he said, if we do those two things, everything else will take care of itself, won't it? And I said, would you come to preach in my church? (laughs) So, now, the truth is, that's what Jesus did. He just said, all life and relationships. Here's here's what he really told him right there and right then. He said, all life and relationships are wrapped up into these two commandments. If you'll fulfill those two, everything else is just going to kind of fall into place. So Jesus made it real simple. But number three, number three, Jesus told stories. Amen? Y'all don't mind my stories, do you? Jesus told stories. Jesus told countless parables. Mark chapter 4, verse 34, he pulled spiritual truth from everyday life. Not only did these stories make Jesus' preaching more memorable, think about the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus, just think about this. Jesus could have Proclaim, God loves you so much, he'll come back, uh, that he'll welcome you back to him no matter how far you've wandered away. I mean, he could have just said that. God loves you so much, he'll he'll welcome you back no matter how far you've gone away. But he didn't do that. He gave this incredible story of the prodigal son. And, And look, if you've heard the prodigal son one time, you remember that story. It's implanted in your mind. And even the image of that son coming back in disarray and that daddy with tears in his eyes out of the distance, seeing his son coming. Is that not amazing? But that's the, that's the story that Jesus taught. He, he used examples from everyday life to, to teach spiritual truths. Now, number three, because of my time, Jesus prepared creative, memorable sayings. He created memorable a creative, memorable sayings that you could remember easily. Uh, like Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, judge not that you be not judged. Now, the truth is, that's pretty easy to remember. It's kind of flows up, judge not that you be not judged. That's not hard to remember. Uh, the, the fact that, okay, this morning, uh, and I, uh, 
what I was trying to do, and what I do really most every service, I was trying to get you to remember one truth before you walked out of here. Anybody know what that truth was? What is... What has grace taught you? What were you going to say? Grace. Hey, I don't care how much. Grace teaches. Amen. Let's say it all together. Grace teaches. Amen. One more time. Grace teaches. And listen, what has grace taught you? Grace, grace, grace. That's what I was trying to get. You might have heard that a time or two this morning, right? Well, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, so that when you walked away from here, you got on your mind grace, grace, God's grace. And, and that's, it's just one truth, but the whole truth was, what has grace taught you? Grace teaches us. And, and the truth is, it's, it's a pretty incredible truth when you find out, I, I was uh, uh, talking to Brother Phipps in a minute, and I said I, I, earlier, t- a few minutes ago, and I was talking to my wife and my daughter early this afternoon, and I didn't say it this morning, but, but you know, it's such an important thing. The law, the law commanded us. The law gave us this, this command, but grace enabled us. You understand, grace enabled us. Grace taught us that we could. The law taught us we couldn't. Amen? All right. Number four. Jesus asked questions. Jesus asked questions. When I'm in a a teaching forum where, well, you know, uh, Brother Howell said uh, preaching is nothing but teaching with a tear in the eye. But uh, the fact is, when I'm in a real, just a strict, like going over, going over Tri-State right now, and I got, I think I got 23 students in my class, I'm teaching the life of faith. So when I'm in there, though, I told them, the first thing that I do is I'll, I'll tell them, raise your hand if you want to. Now, don't do it here. But I tell them, raise your hand if you want to, because I really, I want to answer your questions. Question, answering questions and asking them questions to get them to answer back are incredible opportunities to learn. Now, what it's called a, um, what it's really called, this, this art of asking questions is called the Socratic method of teaching. But really, I believe it's the Jesus method. Because what Jesus did, rather than tell everyone the answer right away, Jesus used this method. He led those who were, uh, he was teaching to conclusions by asking them questions. Matthew 16, 26. Again, if you want to look at it or write it down, Matthew 16, 26 says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? He's asking a question. What's it going to profit you? You know what? That makes you think. What does it profit me if I have everything? What does it profit me if I become the president of the United States? And have millions of dollars. What does it profit me if I become a billionaire? What does it profit me if I gain the whole world and lose my soul? What have I profited? And he just asked this question. Well, you gotta, you, when those questions are asked, you've got to answer it. Anytime you see a question in Scripture, now the truth is Jesus is the Word, so anywhere you see a, a question in a Scripture, uh, you, you need to stop for a moment and realize God's trying to get you to think. He's trying to get you to think about what he's teaching here right now. Um, anyway, 
So Matthew chapter 22, verse 19 through 21 says, Show me the tribute money. And they brought him uh, unto him a penny. And he said, saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. So he's asking the question, they're answered. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God. If he had not asked them whose superscription is, whose image is on here, if he had not asked them that, the statement that he made at the end wouldn't be as powerful to them. But when he asked them that, and they looked at it, and they said, well, Caesar. Then he says, well, hey, stupid, then give Caesar what's Caesar's. I mean, that's basically what he did to him. He just looked at him and said, well, what are you thinking? If it's his, give it to him. Hello? So if you find any money with my picture on it, give it to me. <laughs> Questions are a powerful teaching method, especially when teaching those that struggle to concentrate or struggle to believe. It's a really good teaching method to get them to start coming out. And it's going to help you too because uh, when you ask them questions, you can start to figure out what, the, what they're thinking and where they're coming from by the way they answer. And so... Questions stimulate thinking. Asking good questions makes the, the group that you're talking to hungry to find the answers. There's always going to be some of them in there. Now, some of them are going to, they're not really going to want to participate. And I'll be honest with you, it's because, usually because they're insecure. They just think, I don't know, and, and I have no clue, and so I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to answer. I don't want to answer. I'm not going to raise my hand. I don't want to participate. So you've got to give them an, a forum where there's something that they can answer to start building their confidence a little bit. You've got to kind of you know, help them, give them an answer before you go in there, you know, almost kind of thing to help them. But you need to ask them questions to get them to come out. And the more they come out and start answering questions, the more you understand that they're not understanding, sometimes by their answers. The more you understand that where they're struggling with, with the concept as you listen to their answers, uh, the more they start to formulate in their mind and actually it starts to clear up in their mind. I sat down with the uh, with his college students and and, I, and, I, and we were talking about living by faith and, and, I, and I went, what I did was I began the class by asking them four questions and then I gave them 20 minutes to answer those four questions scripturally. Now some of them were scared slap to death because they're going to give the wrong answer. So I had to tell them, I'm not going to grade you right now. What I want you to do though, I could give you scripture for these questions like recite them. But what happens is the answer just goes to the paper. You, you see, it goes to the paper. But if you look it up, if you search for the answer yourself, it goes to your heart and your mind. So, number five, Jesus used object lessons. One of the things that I, I tried to think through, and I, and I almost did for, for today, uh, you know, in the service today, and I just, you know, again, because I, I thought I might be running over, I didn't, but I like to try to come up with some object lesson uh, to try to demonstrate. Jesus often used object lessons to communicate to his audience. He washed the feet of the disciples to teach them servant leadership in John chapter 13, verses 3 through uh, 17. He called a little child to him to discuss childlike faith. You see that in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. He described unselfish giving after watching a widow drop two mites in the temple offering. 
know what? Those were illustrations that he was using, trying to get through to the people. That's Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. When he told the parable of the sower, I don't know this to be true, but in my mind, Jesus, when he told the parable of the sower, probably had his disciples around him, and they were at the edge of the field watching a guy sow. He said, let me tell you what's going to grow and what's not going to grow. Let, let me show you what's going to come up, what's not going to come up. It's kind of like, uh, you know, my daddy, if he goes out to, you know, to, to plant something or goes out to a field or uh, that kind of thing, he's really knowledgeable about that, and he might look at it and say, son, that's not going to do any good out there. And I, I don't have a clue why, but looking at it and then him showing me why it's not going to be good or showing me the soil or reaching down and picking it up and just showing it to me, uh, that makes a difference in my memory and in, in what's going on in my mind. And so illustrations, visual, uh, visually communicated truth is far more powerful than just stated truth. You see, if a, a picture is worth a thousand words then I believe an illustration is, is much, even much greater. It brings clarity to a truth. Does this make sense to you? I know this is not a normal Sunday night message. And our poor visitor came to hear the incredible preacher come. How am I doing? <laughs> he just went, <laughs> all right. No, he didn't. Number six, because time's about to run out on me. As I began this whole thing, Jesus used repetition. Jesus used repetition. Jesus many times repeated himself. He taught the same major themes again and again. For example, Jesus spoke of his death, and I've preached a message on this before, but Jesus spoke of his death and the resurrection over and over again. If you go to Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10, uh, what you'll see in verses uh, 31, I think, yeah, uh, eight, Mark 8, 31, 9, 31, chapter 10, verse 33 th and 34. Uh, what you'll see is Jesus keeps telling them, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to rise again. I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to rise again. I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to rise again. He kept repeating it unto them. You say, why does he keep repeating it? Watch this, because they're not getting it. But if I keep saying it... Uh, Joe Beth, what's the most common thing that I, or person I quote? Yes. And you know why? I don't remember memorizing anything that he said. I don't remember sitting down, but he would say certain things over and over and over and over again. Forgive me, but sometimes to the point that I think, okay, I've heard that before. I think we got it not realizing that he was beating it into my brain. So that now, it's the most habitual thing that I do. I'll say, well, preacher said, quote after quote after quote or statement after statement, and they're all biblically based things. I'm not talking about that I have him, but I'm talking about the, just the truths, the principles of life uh, that were ingrained in my mind. Find the point of your message or your lesson and say it again and again. Uh, especially if you've got, listen to me, if you've got young ones and, and, and uh, junior church and, and the smaller classes, listen, they can't comprehend but one thing. If they can walk out of there with one truth when they walk out of there, we've done great. 
If they walk out of that room, out of Sunday school they, or, or junior church or uh, out of this service here, if, if they walk out and they have one truth that they, when you look at them and say, what did you learn today? If they got that one thing, you have been a success. Their attention spans are horrendous. They're terrible. And so the first seven times you said it, they didn't get it. So you got to say it eight. Find the main point of your message, your lesson, say it again and again. Jesus hit this, listen to this. This is so amazing. Same truth of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 13. Turn with you. I really have trouble at times with my mouth. <laughs> it just, I know what I want to say, but it just like, it just, I think it's being a southerner and my, you know, I get preaching and I start talking faster, but the mouth is not made to talk fast. It's made to talk slow. <laughs> and so, Matthew chapter 13. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 48. 44. Ah. Verse 44. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto, a, unto treasure hid in a field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth and for joy thereof, and goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Look at verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man, seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea, and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but cast, cast the bad away. Look at this. Jesus repeats the same truth over and over. But watch this. Now, he hits it from a slightly different direction. What he talks to, he talks to all the people that live out in the rural area. He talks to the people that are business people. He talks to the people that out fishing, which, is a, which many of them were fishermen. So he, he's talking to people that are fishing. He's talking to people that are farming. He's talking to people in business. He's saying, let me catch a hold to you with an illustration that applies to your heart. So that means I got to get come from this way, and I got to come from this way, and I got to come from this way. But it's the same truth. So, folks, as we're teaching, as we're, we're working with the, the young people, look, we're taking people. It is amazing, but you can go right over into this neighborhood over here, and you can, you'll find, if you search long and hard enough, you will find some young person over there that does not even know who Jesus is in America. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know the creation story. He's never heard the Ten Commandments. He doesn't know uh, that Jesus rose from the grave. So we got to take it and just get him basic foundational truth and get it in his head. Does that make sense to you? And why is it so important? I was on the 
the phone here, and I, I spent about 30 minutes. I'm trying my best to find this family that came in, and they need a place to stay tonight. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I've given them money for the last, you know, two or three times, and, and there's a family that really needs help, and so I'm trying to help them. And, and, uh, and so I, uh, I just started searching because I just, I, I don't have enough money to pay for hotel rooms and, you know, indefinitely. And so trying to search for some place where a family could go and be taken care of. And so I, I was on the phone and on the internet and searching and searching and searching where, you know, who would take them in. So I got a hold to the Salvation Army. Got a little girl on the phone. It's the only one, you know, it's a holiday weekend, of course. And, and uh, finally got this little girl on the phone and, and so I'm talking to her, and I, I said, I'm, I'm pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Memphis, and, and I got this family that's in need, and I want to I help them. I want to know if you could help me help them. And, and she's, she was so kind, and she gave me two or three numbers, and she, she started, you know, wanting to help me and doing what she can to help me. And, and she said, sir, can I say something? Well, I said, sure, ma'am. Her name was Erica. I said, well, sure. She said, I love Calvary Baptist Church. <laughs> and I said, where did that come from? She said, sir, y'all came and picked me up. When I was 11 years old, I rode the bus, and I trusted Christ, and I got baptized at your church. And she said, you know, God's been on my heart. I need to come visit y'all again. She said, if nothing else, I just want to let the people, if they happen to be still there, some of those people know how much I appreciate and love them for what they did for me. You know what? Somewhere, that little girl rode a bus in, and that little girl heard something that changed her life enough that right now, She's working the phones and trying to work for Salvation Army, trying to help people have a place to live. In other words, what I'm trying to say, the truth made a difference in a life. But bringing them to a building, bringing them to a room, bringing them to and entertaining them or giving them cookies or Kool-Aid. And, and I don't, and please, I don't know who's doing, you know, what we're doing anyway, but I've seen everything as we've traveled this world. And the whole movement in our churches today is basically bring them in, at best give them the gospel, uh, the rest is just entertainment. And I believe kids ought to have fun. We worked real hard. If you went over there, we're trying to help so that they walk in and be excited about their junior church and just be excited about the decorations, but it's not the decorations. It's not the puppet stage that we one day have. It's not that it's all going to be. We, we talked about it, whether it's the puppet show, whether it's the song, whether it's the Sunday school lesson, everything is going to be unified saying the same thing in a different way so that each Sunday when they walk away, they're going to walk away saying, grace teaches they're going to walk away with that one truth that's just been pounded by song, by lesson, by puppet show, by anything that we can do. Yes, we've got to hold their attention. And yes, that takes some things. And that, that means doing cartwheels, and that means 
doing you know, uh, all kinds of things in order to hold their attention for a moment because of the society we live in. But ultimately, we've got to get truth, one truth to them. Repeat it, repeat it, illustrate it, cover it, go back and forth on it, and before they walk out the door, say, and what did you learn today? And here's my desire, and hopefully our desire, should be that everyone, regardless of age, should be able to walk out of these buildings with more than they came with. And I'm not talking about stealing. <laughs> because probably a little bit of that takes place. My desire is that everyone I stop and ask to tell me one thing they got today. That they will look at me and say, as today, grace. That's it. But I know you know that we were talking about grace. That's what we want. We want those children. We want the young adults. We want all ages. We want the adults. We want the old folks. Amen. We don't want them much, but we want them. <laughs> we just want them to know this is the truth it's vital and I wish we could you know give a 10 point outline every time and all of us would have the capacity to remember will we don't and if we can walk away with one truth every service we've done good that's uh, it's not normal Sunday night message not an evangelistic message but I would like to challenge us, if you're a teacher, if you are someone that may teach one day, which, uh, let me help you, that's everybody in this room, because you never know when I'm coming. <laughs> and I'm going to look at you and say, uh, need a teacher. And we got a lot to do. We got, um, we, we're, you know, we've got a new young adult ministry, amen? We, we, my wife and I are working on an old folks ministry. And we got it all planned. It's it, once a month. We're going to go out and eat someplace. Candy scrambled. That's right. No, we're going we're gonna to try to do all we can. And we need all the help we can. But everything that we do has to have a divine purpose. Something is learned. Something has changed in the life. Uh, this man's mid going, going to Cameroon. Well, you know, our children, of course, in, in Ghana. I have a, a daughter and five grandsons, and my son-in-law is over there starting churches in the villages out in Ghana. Well, you know, there's been missions worked in Ghana for a long time, but it's amazing how many of the people have got false religion and Christianity all meshed together and my son-in-law is working praying crazily wearing himself down to the bone trying to get people there to understand no more idols idols in Christ do not join and they've got to teach them and the sad thing is They've had evangelism in uh, Ghana for 
70 years. Strong evangelistic movement. But we've, we gave them information, not transformation. And truth transforms. Okay? I, if you're strong, this, this is all that that's just laid out there in the book of Genesis. And so uh, the events, the people are so very important, the principles there.